Welcome to the Potion Podcast, your raw look at the hospitality industry, brought to you by SHC. This week's episode is proudly sponsored by Bar Green Ellington for all your restaurant and bar needs. Visit bargreen.com for the full portfolio. So the Post Shift Podcast, of course, I'm your host, Sean Sewell. Um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. Absolute powerhouse. I don't think I've got any other words to really describe the person we've got uh, on the show today. I'm just trying to get my Facebook to to pop up. Come on, get there. There we go. It's always one of these weird little things that doesn't work, and I have to do it so that people can comment. Um, so if you are watching, um, you can comment on the, the thing. We can see all your comments. Um, as I was saying, absolute mega powerhouse of a bartender. Um, I've I've known her since she was uh, just staying out in Vancouver many, 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 many years ago. Not too long ago because she still looks the same and I keep getting older. Um, so that's always a horrible suggestion because she looks like she's still the same age as she was when I first met her. Um, but I keep getting grayer and older and fatter and all that sort of horribleness. Um, but who am I talking about? What's, I'm talking about, of course, Evelyn Chick. Hey, Evie, how are you? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> Very good. Thanks for taking your time to uh, to have a chat today. I'm really looking forward to you because you've made this fantastic transition from being an epic bartender to start with to running programs and then becoming the consultant and personal brand that you've sort of been building out for the last couple of years, the Evelyn Chick Projects we'll get to. Um, and I think sometimes a lot of bartenders think it's an easy transition to go from bar manager or something like that to being an actual consultant and actually diversifying what you do to make um, this job something that is a long-term thing outside of just being a bartender, especially during COVID, which I really want to get into because this is I'm curious at how that sort of has played out for you. But um, as in most of my episodes, I always ask for people's origin story because I'm a massive comic book nerd. Um, how did you get into the game? Um, I mean, I've known you for so long that you probably have <laughs> seen a little bit of, uh, you know, embarrassing moments of me getting into the game, if that is how we describe it. But I mean, my bartending slash hospitality career actually started at a very young age. Um, I don't know if you even know this, but my whole family has been in restaurants sort of all oh, my really? life. Yeah. Um, indirectly, I've always just like been in restaurant spaces. My grandfather owns a uh, seafood restaurant in Hong Kong, which is where I grew up. And I just remember doing like family dinners every Sunday there and like running around the kitchen with open fire everywhere, just like, you know, not food safe and not safe at all for a child to be doing that. But that's kind of where all the beauty about like loving the restaurant industry comes from, because I was always in that space. So till this day, he still goes in the restaurant. No one allows him to do anything anymore because he's quite old, but they like his presence. So being in the restaurant space kind of came from my childhood in Hong Kong. My dad ended up um, holding shares in this French restaurant. So that's kind of how my love of wine came about. Um, I was always just like sipping out of my dad's cup at like the age of 13, 14. <laughs> but, you know, that's just kind of how you grow up in um, those parts of the world because um, you're trying to, uh, create really cool spaces for each other to be in. And uh, I moved to Vancouver when I was uh, 14 years old and got my first sort of hostess job at a large chain restaurant um, at the age of 16. So I really did go through the ranks like I was hostess, head hostess, server, bar back, bartender, et cetera, et cetera. Fast forward, um, you know, 
age of 22, which is kind of how the industry in Vancouver worked during the time I was bar manager at Uva. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a very quick, like, here you go. Here's the fire. You're thrown into it. Make it work. Um, And, you know, fast forward 10 years later, I'm here. It's actually really kind of crazy because I don't think I've met I mean, through the industry right now, everyone sort of gets fast tracked through all that. But I genuinely worked through every single position in the restaurant industry. And that kind of developed my love and my passion for the hospitality industry. So let's take it back a little bit to the bar management position, because that that is a, a, a classic story of like, oh, you've been here the longest and our bar manager just left. Guess what? You're the new bar manager. <laughs> yeah. For the young bartenders watching or listening, um, how did you deal with that on a on personal level and a professional level? Like, how did you go from, you know, nine times out of ten, it's happy go lucky bartender to oh, now I'm in charge of Uva, which is a fantastic program with a lot of massive, a, a huge amount of lineage of different amazing people that have gone through that space. How did you adapt to the position? Was it thrown upon you, or were you sort of asked to do it? <laughs> You know what, like the my memory of that is so foggy because it was, I think within a month or so of the previous bar manager that had left and it was a really quick transition because before my time at Uva even, it was Brad Stanton that was there. Um, and I don't remember kind of who was in between, but I, you're completely right. Like a, a plethora of really kind of big, big names in the industry has gone through that bar. And it's really unique because it's a wine bar to begin with. Mm -hmm. And I felt like because there were so many cocktail bartenders in that presence and we continued continuously evolved that space and it eventually became Uva Wine and Cocktail Bar, Mm -hmm. which is so interesting. So um, I think in terms of the transition period, you kind of have to be doing uh, your own research and doing uh, a lot of different things outside of the bar to be able to learn Um, the systems in which you can set yourself up for success in that way, because no one's going to be, I mean, unless if you're Gord Hanna and you're just like so happy go lucky and you're just so excellent (laughs) in guest services that like no one will be like, why are you behind the bar, you know, 20 years (laughs) later. But I would say that like in my mind back then, there was always a hope of becoming um, put into a managerial role. So I manifested that outside of the bar setting which is like actively applying to be a tails cap or going to seminars or doing CSS or whatnot. So I would say the transition is more um, the functionality of the space and learning the, you know, the excels, the inventory, all that stuff. That stuff is teachable. But in terms of having an attitude um, to become some sort of leader and to think outside of creative realm is the biggest piece that I had to put in. Um, and yeah, I think it was sort of around the time where, you know, a lot of the younger bartender generation has started becoming bar managers, assistant bar managers. So I had a huge support system to help out. So you have really done a lot of extra, well, we call it extracurricular activities when we were in high school, but like really when you're a bartender in this day and age or a bar manager in this day and age, you really have to do extracurricular activities in the way of like the Tails Cap program, which is a, a week of just a huge amount of work. And then, and then CSS is hours and hours and hours of study. Um, do you think that a lot of bartenders 
Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to word this better. Do you think a lot of ballot tenders underestimate what they can really achieve if they spend a little bit extra time on their own personal development outside of work? I know that sometimes we, we're already working 50 to 60 hours a week, nine times out of 10. Last thing you want to do is like do your CSS or do your WSET1. Um, do you think it's an underestimation by a lot of bartenders that it's either expensive or too time-consuming? I think... I think it's definitely underestimated the power of knowledge outside of your bar setting. I see a lot of young bartenders go, oh, you know, especially with so many cocktail competitions of run or judged or whatnot. They go, oh, I picked this ingredient because it's within my space, you know, within that bar space. So a lot of bartenders that come out of, say, like agave spirit heavy bars will Mm -hmm. constantly be doing agave spirit heavy cocktails, which, you know, like you're a product of your environment, 100%. But I think the effort that you put into these extracurricular um, programs will really help you see beyond your space and help you develop your not even your own personal signature but develop something that's completely brand new and develop a whole new network that you can go and explore that will help tremendously in the long term so if i didn't do css or if i didn't do tales i wouldn't have the connectivity i would globally um, before i was even close to being in the global stage but that kind of sets up your path a little bit because you're allowed to now kind of you know expand your horizons in a way where you are passionate about the subject you're, you have to like it too like if you genuinely don't like studying you don't like spirits css isn't gonna be fun for you. it's dry it's very it's very, very dry, dry. <laughs> it's yeah. very dry yeah so you need to like it but at the same time if you're like on the on the class like okay i kind of like this i'm interested but i'm kind of lazy you know like do the nudge like put your push yourself to that boundary where you're like okay i'm committed to it i'm gonna do it it will honestly like tenfold so like come back tenfold so with this sort of mantra and methodology what year did you win the beef eater competition was that 2015 2015 yeah i had a chat about the other day it's like eons ago but yeah it's funny because you won you 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 topped it you got world's best bartender for beefeater what were they what did they call the beefeater mix uh mix a lead in or something and no, that's not right mix london yeah so there essentially you, you <laughs> it's called beefeater mix london and um it's an annual cocktail competition that is uh you know, held in London, or I think most of most of this held in London. Yes. So it's a global cocktail competition uh, that kind of gives you all sorts of challenges. It's not as as intense as world class, but you're supposed to create a signature cocktail, you're supposed to be inspired by either uh, something that comes from the home country or, you know, London in particular, that year that I competed, um, probably was the highest participating, uh, that has the highest participating country. 31 so oh. that, that was a trip so <laughs> one of these things is like a lot of bartenders i i feel a lot of young bartenders i'm sure that you talk to them a lot always sort of see uh competitions as another big stepping stone and a like almost a goal and I've, I've been talking to a lot of people about this um lately because you sort of you set yourself a goal and you think everything's going to change once you hit that goal and everything will be easier after that. I feel that way. Like I wrote my first book. I thought, oh, if I write my first book, everything will be different. And it wasn't. It was just a really expensive business card. And then I was like, I'll open this venue and it'll be way easier. And it, and it never is. And now I'm just like, okay, I've got goals, but I know that 
pretty sure that nothing's going to change once that goal gets into place. Like, it's still going to be hard work. It's still going to be a ton of hustle and grind. How did things change yeah. for you after the beef eater competition? It's funny because, like, everyone's like, oh, you don't – I feel like I don't actually mention that that much because it just became such, you know, a part of my career where it just helped me set up for a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Like, once you reach that goal, you have to continue hustling because, you know, a lot of younger bartenders and myself included at the age of 23, 24, I'm like, well, when I win a global cocktail competition, I'm good. You know, like, that's done. Like, check that box off. That's sort of my end goal. But that kind of sets you up for a whole other realm of responsibility because now all of a sudden, um, at least within that year of uh, being a global champion, you're carrying a brand. You're carrying a brand with you. You're learning how to um, talk about the brand. You're learning how to network completely differently because now you hold this title that you like constantly have to live up to. So I feel like, um, I don't know, I digress the question now i'm just going back like thinking about those particular moments but um like i feel like you know going into that competition setting it is a great way to allow for you again to expand your horizons the way you wouldn't within your particular space it's really pushing yourself out of um, your comfort zone and allowing for you to be exposed to a lot of criticism to be honest because you Mm -hmm. are in a competition setting and maybe a lot of disappointments because you're not going to go out and win every single competition. I sure as hell didn't think that I was going to. Um, and even to the last minute, I was in complete disbelief that I was even there. But I did, you know, allow for myself to grow within even starting to develop that first signature drink to the end. And so much of me has changed during the process of it because it was not just, you know, you go to globals, like it's a, it's a month long process or a few month long process doing your, you know, your regionals, your nationals. And whatnot. But I definitely think it's a great way to um, gain some insight to where you are and who you are as a bartender. So with that, when did you, what, what was the, the driving force and what made you do the move to Toronto? Because like a lot of people, especially people out from outside Canada, Vancouver's a, a hub, Toronto's a hub. There's a whole, whole bunch of space in between that, those two hubs. What was, what was yeah. the driving force between, uh, to get, go to Toronto? Cause you were top of your game in, in Vancouver at the time. And you were just like, nope, let's pack it all up and move to Toronto. Well, I always have this mantra, like, if you don't continuously challenge yourself and put yourself in difficult situations, then you'll only hit that ceiling that you set for yourself. Mm -hmm. And for Vancouver, you're totally right. Like, I was the bar manager at Blue Water. Like, at that age, I was like, this is the highest paying bar manager job I will get. But again, it's, like, situational. You know, I am at my peak at that age. So I know that if I didn't switch things up a little bit, I wouldn't grow the way that I want to and I felt like at that particular time I have hit the ceiling in Vancouver and there was really nothing there at that moment that I was um, you know more excited about than just a change I mean like I'm not gonna lie it did come for like a dude as well but like obviously that has subsided and I'm still in Toronto um, hopefully still crushing it so I think that move was more just to allow for myself to do something different and make a big splash and 
go from, you know, big fish, little pond to little fish, super large pond and see where I swim, really. So where'd you end up when you first went? Did you end up at Pretty Ugly Bar and that sort of thing when you first went to Toronto? What was what was the first place you worked at in Toronto? Oh, so, uh, I mean, RIP because I was the bar manager at the Harvard Room when I first mm, landed that's right. in Toronto. Yeah. So um, it was great because I actually knew a lot of folks in Toronto and I got lucky because it, it is quite a tight-knit community and especially in a big city. Um, so I knew a lot of the industry from, again, like cocktail competitions, traveling around the world, doing all that. So I actually knew like a core group of female bartenders from Mademoiselle Cointreau, which I had placed in Vancouver. So that brought us to France in which I met this like really cool support system of lady bartenders in Toronto. Um, and I had also met Robin Goodfellow via World Class. So he actually was like, why don't you move to Toronto? I feel like you're ready for this. Like your personality, big city, great match. Let's do this. And I think I called him from like the back of Blue Water one day. And I was like, so I think I'm, I think I'm gonna do the move. And he's like, okay, see you in a week. So I booked my flights past, you know, 13, whatever years of my life in five suitcases and jet it out. <laughs> wow. Do you, do you think that that like is that that I did the same sort of thing for a girl when I moved to Canada? I basically packed up my life and was like, okay, I'm going to move to Canada, and it was literally like three weeks because I by the time I got my passport and visa and stuff like that it was like a three weeks. Do you think sometimes that impulsiveness is beneficial if you don't overthink uh, it? You just go, I'm yeah. just going to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends on like your comfortability in doing that like i'm i'm the kind of person who like functions really well in chaos and i love like you know i love that little bit of craziness that's kind of how i always functioned like when i finished high school i packed up my bags and went to thailand for a month uh and i was like okay bye um and my parents were like okay well i guess she's doing that but i feel like the impulsiveness also comes with you know another uh set of challenges that you create for yourself. So if I didn't make that big move, I wouldn't have had to prepare myself for a large city, for, you know, new friends, new network, new whatever it is. So I'm, yeah, like, I mean, I think there's an advantage. (laughs) I wouldn't be here if I didn't make the move. I would still be probably doing the same thing in Vancouver. So Harvard Room, and then you've done Pretty Ugly Bar, which is one of my, well was one of my favorite bars in uh, Toronto. It was one like I think it's the only bar when I visit Toronto that I go to multiple times, which is rare when you're only in Toronto for like three days or like when you travel. Yeah, and you traveled enough. You go for twenty four hours, forty eight hours, and you're like, I got to hit every bar I can possibly hit. And it was always it was always pretty ugly bar till close. It was always a pretty ugly bar Guinness and a shot of Fernet at pretty ugly bar was pretty much the, the, the mainstay for me at Toronto. So let's kick it up a gear to, um, Evelyn chick project, because I'm really curious about, again, we've talked about impulsiveness and the moves and sort of this sort of self-awareness of the enjoyment of a little, just a little bit of chaos, just, just a smidge of chaos in your life. Like, a lot of bartenders, I think, aspire, and again, we've sort of gone through this progression as your career has has evolved and, and progressed as well. I think bartenders always aspire to be consultants, but it's usually consultants or side hustle entrepreneurs 
um, while they still have a full-time job, which is a great way of doing things. But you kind of just went, nope, just going to, let's just go hundred percent fully into this and get it done. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that a big part of doing that again is situational because um, in between sort of like, um, finishing Pretty Ugly and then becoming a beverage director uh, at the Donnelly Group. Uh, again, like I've done a lot of these like extracurricular things to set myself up in that director role. So consultancy was always one of those that was always asked um, about. And I started Evelyn Chick Projects as sort of like a, you know, just just like a, a way to bill people out for my freelance consulting. It was it was never going to be like a crazy main project of mine. And then I think that's kind of when we had the conversation like a little while ago about like how do you turn your side hustle into your actual um, you know job. Um, but I think the big thing about consultancy and what people forget about is that everyone there's no industry standard. And I love talking about that because like. There's never anyone um, that was that like tells you what you're supposed to do when you're in consulting, especially when you're like in a bar manager role and you feel like that's kind of a version of consulting, right? Like you're mm -hmm. curating an experience, you're curating a program, you're curating like COG, whatever. Um, the consultancy actually encompasses so many other things that you have to learn on the back end. Like how do you present yourself? Um, in a way, like, are you adhering to another person's theme? Are you like um, hitting the targets that, that your particular client has set you? Um, what kind of consultancy you're doing? So I feel like that jump is quite, uh, you know, like swimming into the unknown. And I think you just get better as you go. And I would say like the biggest piece of advice because I definitely have like fallen flat on my face a few times on this is don't, you know, bite off more you can chew, more than you can chew. Like, I think that's a really big thing that bartenders uh, constantly forget about. Like they think that they can take on these, you know, big consultant jobs. And a lot of people who look for consultants are looking for consultants because they don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Or like they don't necessarily know in that particular um, realm and aren't uh, the best person. So they're looking at you for your expertise. Um, so for Avalanche Projects, I kind of did a bunch of side consultancy uh, jobs. And, you know, I curate the RC show. I curate Speed Rack for Canada. All this thing, all those different events kind of helped set up myself or ultimately Avalanche Projects Incorporated, which is now a company that does a lot, a lot of things. So I think at the beginning, it's a lot of like trial and error and like knowing your value within your industry and knowing your time is value and knowing that your um, intellect are your property. So like kind of literally like sitting down on a piece of paper and putting together what I dedicate to that particular project and pricing it out that way. And then looking back and seeing whether or not the client gets return on investment if they hire me. Like it, it's a lot to kind of juggle instead of just being like, I'm making three cocktails and this is how much I'm charging per cocktail. Like it's so much more than that. So much more. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess I just started like with littler projects and kind of found my groove that way, you know? And um, when the pandemic hit, it, I had to just dial it up 
and like put all my efforts into that company and try to figure out new ways to um, find revenue. Because, you know, like no one is crazy approaching you about things because you're not established as like a consultancy. Mm -hmm. But now you're talking to brands, looking for your connections. Again, like whatever your past has set you up for, you're using those connections to set you up for your success. And I suppose not many people are asking for beverage programs right now. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it was interesting when I first started consulting, um, managing the client's expectations and what they were expecting in the end was probably the most biggest hurdle for me to get around. And I read, well, I don't read, but I, I don't read that much, but I listened to um, Stuart Diamond's Getting More. And I automatically, as soon as you read that, it's like, okay, well, my client's on one path, I'm on one path, the goal is the same, but we're doing it two different ways. And as soon as I started doing that, I stopped getting mad about things. Like when I get mm-hmm. weird phone calls and text messages, um, I would just take a breath and go, they want the same thing as you, they're just on a different path in a different vehicle going at different speed. <laughs> yeah. Because I work really, I work as fast as I possibly can. I, I make quick decisions and, and move forward. So let's let's go, let's, let's talk, just dive into COVID because- when we chatted, like, I think we chatted pre-COVID. Yeah, I think we chatted mm-hmm. in, like, January, February about making this thing real and, and f- building it up. And it, for me as well, I, I lost a couple of big consulting jobs overseas in Southeast Asia as soon as it hit. Like, it was, like, two massive, really cool projects got dropped, like, and I don't think they'll ever come back. Um how did you like, and I hate the word you use the word pivot. And we did that seminar at the RC show just recently. How did you sort of not freak out and sort of take a breath and look at, did you, let me see. Did you foresee what was going to happen with brands and online cocktail classes and this sort of adaption? Like no one knew what zoom was. No one knew what zoom was in January, 2020. And now zoom is everywhere. Um, did you see that sort of happening when COVID sort of hit or did you just jump on when brands started coming to you and going, Hey, can you do this cocktail session with this big company or do this with this? Um, what was your sort of play when COVID hit? Did you freak out a little bit or did you sort of just take a breath and move forward? I mean, I would like to say that I didn't freak out, but I freaked the hell out. (laughs) Like, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but like, holy crap. Um, You can, you can swear as much as you want. Okay, I had like a full blown meltdown. Because <laughs> like, I was like, you know, like I had worked really hard throughout um, my career to like build something where I can get into a comfortable position. And I vividly remember a year before the first COVID thinking, which direction did I want to go? Because I had just started Evelyn Chick Projects. It was in 2018. Um, as like I said, like my, you know, company just to build people out for these like side freelancers. And a year before I finished like so when I was first kind of talking about transitioning out of Pretty Ugly and into either my own realm or a beverage director position so I'm essentially picking between like comfortability like steady income et cetera, et cetera, to like let's go into this void of the unknown of starting your own company like I was like on a crossroads and I picked the safe route so I always had this like thought at the back of my head that at some point, I'm going to go back and approach Evelyn Shake Projects again. So when COVID hit, I had a full-blown meltdown. I very much remember like sitting at home, just like crying in a shower and being like, I have lost my job. 
And then Rob, my partner, strolls in. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, you are like one of the most like driven people I know. Like, this is sad. Go, you know, make yourself some food. Sit down. I'll pour you a glass of wine. Let's talk. So I cried for another hour because I was like, holy crap, this is crazy. But like, it honestly made me realize, I was like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, like you are like, if you were to pick a time to be innovative and do different things, which I have done already, like a couple times in my life, this is the time to do it because no one knows what the future holds. And at that point, yes, it was like January, February. I'm like, you know what? No one's going to come to me about these things. And I've already seen a couple of like, I think like Bacardi videos pop up or whatnot, mm-hmm. of like bartenders doing brand stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, that's what brands are doing. But I wasn't waiting for that. I'm like, I'm going to go search. This is what I'm going to do. So I spent about three or four days building a website from scratch. I've never like touched like HTML in my life. I think I remember purchasing like HTML for dummies when I was like in grade four <laughs> or something like that, trying to like figure out a website. I think I made a smiley face. Pretty sure I made a smiley face like on the screen. That was like the extent of it. Um, but there are a lot of resources out there for you to just build out a website, like very easy. So I hopped on Wix and built out a website. And luckily I was pretty good at photographs. So I already had a, you know, recipe bank and a ton of photos from before, um, structured it really like thought about what my brand represented. And I've, my brand has like shifted a little bit since then, um, built myself a website. I didn't even know what the website was going to be for, but I knew that it had to be a landing page so people can jump in and see what Evelyn Chef is all about. So I built a landing page and then I just shot out like I think maybe 50 emails that day um, just to my brand partners being like, hey, I'm doing this new thing. I'm up for hire. I wasn't available before, but now I am. Here's my price. Let's go. So I went to like search for jobs because I knew that I needed to prepare myself for the impending doom that everything's going to be shut down for like a year. At first we were pretty optimistic. We're like, Oh, we're going to open back up in August. Oh, oh no, honey, that's not <laughs> like nothing, you know, like a year or so later, we're still kind of in the same um, different situation, same and different situation than we were before. So I'm really glad that I trusted my instincts and trusted my gut and just went because I could have just like tried to find another job that's, you know, a consulting job for somebody else or uh, a stable, even just like, you know, LCBO job or something like that, whatever it is. But I decided to go, okay, let's put some money down. Like I know this is for the long haul. Let's see what I can do. On my own. So. Do you think that that's like, I always live by rule the worst, worst something worst someone is going to say to you is no. Do you think that that ask that, that pitching that low hanging fruit was, is your a driver to continue to get business because you've sort of got your foot in the door you've asked. And sometimes, like you said, like some of these brand people, they only think three months ahead. They only think like one quarter. Like I feel sorry sometimes for the marketing departments because marketing departments are usually two years in advance and they work back from that. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the brand partners, it's it's this quarter. Like what are we going to do this quarter? And you're like, well, this is going to go on for, well, we're almost at we're almost at five quarters now <laughs> worth yeah. of lockdowns and COVID. Do you think the, that some people are sometimes nervous and scared of the ask of doing that and like sort of not necessarily swallowing their pride but 
you know, it, it is it is a lot to be to ask for work instead of being hired for work. There's a big, big difference psychologically there. Do you think that's what uh, your success at the start of COVID was uh, attested to? Yeah, I mean, like ego comes into play really, really hugely in this particular situation. Well, we're bartenders, though. So. Yeah, so like <laughs> I have an ego and I've had to like, you know, if Rob didn't come in and tell me to get myself together, it was essentially my ego telling me that, I have now, you know, not been handed something or I have now not been offered something like I now have to search, you know, like I was like, as Evelyn in this industry, how am I searching for jobs? But that's just my ego telling me like, okay, you know, check yourself. Like we're all in the same situation. Um, and yeah, I think a huge part of, I, I, was, like, I, I guess success, like a huge part of, my driver in the beginning is not being afraid of rejection and rejection is a huge fear that stops a lot of people from yeah. doing it. And yeah, you're right. Like the worst they can say is no. And the worst that could happen is that, you know, I don't have a job for a little while. Like, so what? Like I have a roof over my head. I can feed myself. Like those are good. Like anything else is just bonus. At that point. So um, yeah, I think reaching out to brands was definitely a huge part of my success, like in the beginning, because I have a couple of brands who I've worked with previously who were just very excited to be able to work with me in that capacity with no obligations to a particular venue or a particular group. Because obviously, you know, with the larger groups and with everything, there's contractual obligations, there's brand obligations, like that. So um, it was really nice because I opened the doors up for more opportunities on my own. and. I think it's important for everyone to like realize that that step is sometimes just necessary to take. And, you know, I got a lot of notes. I got a, a, yeah, yeah. I get, yeah, I know how you yeah. feel. <laughs> <laughs> and like very politely, but like also because I've worked with a lot of different brands in so many different capacities, I was able to manage expectations before I even put that out. So I knew that if a brand said no, it wasn't no forever it was no for that particular quarter or that particular project or whatever, but I've set it up. So now I'm a little bug in their head. So they know that if they were to approach me for another project, I'm open for it. So this just is kind of like announcing to the world that like, Hey, and now I'm, no, I'm now available and doing my own thing. So here's my reach out to you. Reach out to me wherever you want. So. Do you think now I, I, I'm always trying to find the silver lining and things. Do you think that, if COVID hadn't hit and you'd still been the beverage director at Donnelly Group, do you think you'd be in the same spot you are in now? Do you think that that comfortability of having that really like steady job, as you were saying, that like nice comfortability of all that, do you think that while we've had a lot of horrible negatives come out of COVID, I think there's, there's always positives in any situation. Do you think that COVID sort of pushed you? Was that Was that driving little like ping to get you over the edge to really dive into something on your own? Yeah, I mean, if COVID didn't happen, I would not see myself in position at all, like not even close. And I think it's a series of events that have happened that are sort of like unlucky, but lucky for myself, because other than just Evelyn Chick Projects, I spoke to Amanda Chen, who's the founder of Salty Paloma, and found out that she kind of like no longer wants to be um, really like the driving force of her e-commerce store and her, uh, you know, cocktail side of things. So I teamed up with her and became sort of the chief operating uh, 
personnel for Salty Paloma. And now I've rebanded Salty Paloma to Salty. And now I offer this whole like other realm of things that's like virtual cocktail classes, custom cocktail kits, corporates, etc. And I really wouldn't have done any of this if COVID didn't hit. I would still be probably trying to panically open a patio right now, <laughs> which I've done twice, like yeah. throughout COVID. Um, while building Evelyn Trick projects, I was actually called back to the Dolphin Group um, to reopen the patios the first time around. And I've had to like hire and fire like 60, 70 staff within the span of three weeks. Mm -hmm. And like at one point I was like a GM, like running service, you know, like you kind of just like roll with the punches because of COVID. But without COVID, I don't think I would have expanded my horizons in that way to start my own business. Like it would have never occurred to me because I had somebody else's business to take care of. So here's the big question before we get into what's what's the plan uh, for the future. Are you happy with where you are at with uh, EC Project? Would you, do you ever think, looking back when we had that conversation in January last year, that you'd be in that position that in this position that you are now? And are you happy with how things are going? Have you been surprised and ecstatic? And obviously, we were talking off camera about entrepreneurship already being ridiculously hard. There's super good high days and there's super low, low days and everything else in between. And I think that hospitality entrepreneurship is such a a different beast. And I, I talk uh, in a lot of clubhouse panel discussions and stuff with other entrepreneurs, even in the tourism sphere, like hotel entrepreneurs and Airbnb guys. And like hospitality entrepreneurship is the most, I think the most difficult because the ROI is sometimes intangible. Like there's mm-hmm. so much intangibility to what we do. And it's such a long tail before you actually ever see something going, oh, you know, that's cool. Like I'm opening, helping open a distillery in Vancouver right now and they're trying to be open by July, but it's a one-year contract and it's all chunked up from design and construction to um, education and training, cocktail development, all that sort of stuff. So are you happy with where you are at? I mean, I'm definitely happy... I'm happy, but I want to do more. I always want to do more. <laughs> That's just like my personality and I'm sure yours as well. Uh, but yeah, as of right now, um, I think I'm in a really good space. I've made a lot of really um, cool connections with different brands that I'm working with. I also signed um, on with an agency called Quell. Mm-hmm. And I really like to talk about Quell because it is a not your typical talent agency. Um, they represent, um, you know, lifestyle personalities, TV personalities, hospitality personalities, chefs, bartenders, etc. And um, it is a representation of BIPOC talents uh, within the Ontario realm right now. And um, we're really starting to like change how people view um, hiring and how they view these particular, uh, you know, sets of personalities within their space so like we're really kind of um trying to diversify the realm that is hospitality and the realm that is lifestyle right now in ontario so once i signed on to this agency it really gave me a clear view as to where i want to be as Evelyn chick like entrepreneur yes like there's so much that i'm doing in that realm that's just my business side of things and then like where i want to be as a person like continue sort of you know helping lead a community, helping uh, change ways that people think about the community, you know, like provide opportunities and platforms for female BIPOC bartenders, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think, you know, like, I hate, like, 
for COVID, like if COVID didn't happen, I just wouldn't be in the space. Like I wouldn't be with Paul. I wouldn't be with Avonshake Projects. I wouldn't be running Salty. I wouldn't have a subscription service. Like none of this would happen. So yeah, I'm happy, but I want to do more. I feel like I'm constantly putting stuff on my plate and it seems really full, but you kind of just have to be a smarter business person, a better um, time manager. And yeah, there are very low days like during Christmas when I first started Salty. Um, we went from like three or four orders a day on our e-commerce platform to like shipping out 1500 boxes by January. Like that was so messed up. I didn't have the infrastructure for it. I didn't have staff. I didn't have a space. I didn't have anything. You just kind of figure this shit out. Like, you know, like, and if you're not like agile and ready to adapt every moment of your day, like you, you just won't make it happen. So I think for, you know, EC projects, like, I kind of made it happen. I was like, it just has to go. Like it can't go any other way. It has to go. <laughs> I always say that because people always ask me, and I'm sure it's the same thing with you. It's like, how do you do everything you do? And I'm like, well, I'm a bartender. I'm always going to be a bartender. I still run the bar. Right. And yeah. I see everything I do every day as chits in front of me. Like if I was a busy Friday night and I had six chits in front of me, I'd make a chit, put it out, go to the next chit, put it out, go to the next chit, put it out. And that's what life is. You can apply that same sort of mentality and mantra and like muscle memory to anything. Like bartenders and hospitality people, we adapt and we overcome. If something gets like, we can plan, we can get ready, we can press our shirts and do our ties and all this sort of stuff for Friday night. But then once Friday night starts, you just never know what's going to happen after that. It could just go to shit really quickly, but you've planned as much as you can. And then you just have to nail it down. So. Yeah. What's what's the what's the future? I'm not going to keep you for much longer. What's the future for um for you for 2021? What's your what's your big plan? Obviously, 2020 was substantially big for you already, um, with everything you've mentioned during this time. Like, what's 2021 looking like for you? I think it's just to continuously grow my different brands that I am involved with, and um, again, like continuing the presence in the community and like helping spread the love of cocktails and the love of hospitality throughout whatever channel it may be um a lot of people think like just because you step out of the bar you are removing yourself from that but it's so opposite of it because now i'm connected to um trade and connected to consumers in a completely different way and i always say that the reason why you know i i think i'm going to continue this route is because i got to now combine my passion for um, guest service, which is completely different in how I execute it now than you are behind a bar or in a restaurant setting with like my creative side. So I'm able to still like curate the same guest experiences, but just in different channels. So like 2021 is all about growth for me, like personally um, in terms of even you know, being in different things. Like I was a contributor for Food Network for a little bit for cocktails. I've never done a drink contributor on the channel before. And like I was one of the first ones. So it was like really cool to do that. And now I have, you know, connections over there and kind of see their side of things and learn about production and learn about um, all those things. And, um, you know, big growth with my personal brand to continue doing like consultants and consultancy and like executing all these really cool ideas but for somebody else. And then I have my own brands that I'm building, like on the e-commerce side, on the virtual side. And um, 
I'm actually currently looking for my own space. Um, not going to be your <laughs> typical bar space. Hence, going back to Toronto in April, it's not going to be your typical bar space, but I think it's going to be a really cool concept um, that I'm looking forward to. So that's, I think that's a pretty big 2021. That's a pretty big 2021. 2021 is <laughs> big enough already, and you're already in March right now. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I want to thank you so much for your time, Evie. I really, uh, you really are a powerhouse. I'm so, I'm always in awe and so very proud of you. And I don't mean that to ever come off condescending, but I'm just proud of, proud of what you've, you've been able to achieve. And you just knuckle down and every, like you said, every single time it's a, th- a punch is thrown, you just block it and return it and move on to the next person. And so I, re- I really am uh, in absolute awe for all the things that you do. I'm really Im- impressed. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, this was such a pleasure. And I feel like it was long overdue. Like we talked so <laughs> yeah, much. We talked it, so much about this. It's it's been hard because like the when I first started doing live streams and stuff, it was um I had a list of people that I wanted to do face to face and have face-to-face interviews and that list is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter because we're not traveling to tales we're not doing toronto cocktail week or the cocktail conference in toronto so no one's flying anywhere so my list is i had this massive list of people that i wanted to just do a face-to-face interview instead of doing it over on live stream and that list is just almost dried up completely because we just don't know when we're going to be able to travel again anytime soon so but thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it and i'll chat to you very soon Thank you. And thanks everyone for watching. Thanks for listening, Pro Shifters. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoy sitting down with friends and peers and uh, just chatting about the industry and getting down to the nuts and bolts of what's really going on out there. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, comment, everything on all the platforms. Just hit it up and I'll do my best to answer any queries or questions you have. I'll see you next week, guys. Bye.